Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wharton Tech Talks. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Sophie. Sophie, why don't you say hi? Hi, everyone. And today, we're joined by Joe Cohen. Joe is a serial entrepreneur. He dropped out of Wharton to start Lore and later Reformation, both of which were acquired. Today, he's building Universe. And Universe is a mobile drag-and-drop website builder that makes creating a personal portfolio to an e-commerce shop as easy as editing a photo on Instagram and as fun as playing with Legos. With over 500,000 creators and small businesses coming to the site and building things in the last month, Joe and the team recently raised their Series B, clocking in at $30 million from Addition, Google Ventures, among other investors. Joe, we're super excited to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, to dive into it, we'd love to talk a little bit about the creator economy and kind of what you're seeing today and what really sparked the genesis of Universe. It's been really exciting to see people turning their passions and their skills into full-time jobs rather than, you know, staying in a job that they aren't passionate and excited about. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that it's sort of been a perfect storm of stuff over the past couple of years that have culminated in this moment we're calling the creator economy. But, you know, I'd say that there's three real macro events or trends. The first is that, you know, as computers and technology gets more powerful, they obviate the need for people to do certain jobs. And so that's resulted in, you know, less, you know, rote jobs in that way. So that's the first thing. It's pushed people to start looking towards new things. The second thing is that because of the internet, because of computers, a person can do a lot more than they could have done before. Like someone could become a musician or a writer or a chef in a way that they couldn't have done before. They could start a brand, you know, they can be an entrepreneur in a way that was just not possible because of the tooling. So on the one hand, you know, computers have disrupted labor. On the other hand, in the sense that it's removed jobs. On the other hand, it's opened up new jobs. And then I think COVID came in and really sort of accelerated all of that. It accelerated, you know, what was possible. It accelerated you know, the shift of companies realizing, okay, like we, we don't need folks in this area. But I think mostly, I think it was this moment, like for people to say, you know what, like, I only live once, I want to do what I love. And I'm not getting it from this job. And so that's the great resignation, right? And so I mean, the question then is, like, the internet's enabling this bottoms up wellspring of creativity across everything. And for us, it's like, okay, what are the tools that enable people to manifest their ideas in the world, to build their visions, to both have sort of a freedom of expression, but also the economic sufficiency to continue doing what they want to do. And, you know, we like to say there's no real barrier between, you know, the creative side and the commerce side. These things go hand in hand. And Universe exists to help creators with both those things. So, you know, our app lets folks build on the internet in the way that they build in real life. So, you know, our creators are people who make things. They make music, they make fashion, they make, you know, dinner. Like they are all kinds of creators in really across every, we were looking at some sites today because on Monday we do a review of some cool sites that people made on the site on the platform last week. And we saw two sites. One was from a person who was making robots, cats of robots. She's like an 18-year-old student making these crazy robot cats. And then we also saw someone who ran a artisanal goat farm in Vermont. Like that range, that is what, first of all, humans do. And that's what the internet is at its best. And, you know, our tools allow people to do that. But the thing I'd say is like the people who use our tools, they make things, whether it's, you know, farming or 
you know, robotics. And what our tool allows them to do is create online in the way that they create in person. So they're able to use their creative faculties in a forum that is, you know, the internet in a way they never could have before. And that's really the idea behind the universe mission. Yeah, and I think that's amazing. It's really exciting to see, right? People have the opportunity to let their kind of creative juices flow and to, you know, work on artisanal goat farm to making cat robots, which sounds super cool. And I guess I'm, I'd love to hear more about how you kind of bridge that gap between, you know, creating online and creating in person and that feeling, I guess, that people have around like building and how you kind of encourage that on universe. Yeah, it's a great question. For us, that's what we exist to do. And ultimately, it comes down to creating great tools, creating great tools that meet people where they are, that are powerful and really fun. And, you know, the way we look at it is like, so if I say, you know, building things online should be like building things in the real world. Well, how do you build things in the real world? Well, you use your hands, right? Like you engage with things visually. It really engages all of your senses as a person. So when we say building online in that way, it means, you know, doing it with your fingers. It means pinching and dragging around and having blocks for certain functions. It's really human in a way that, you know, you just didn't get with any other tools in this way. They're often very rigid and you're really futzing with specific controls. You know, the way I see it is if you wanted to use a computer, just to use one in 1980, you needed to know how to write code. Because the interface for, you know, using a computer was a command line. And so you type in commands to the computer, it would do what you say. And then in 1984, Apple came out with the Mac. And the Mac introduced a graphical user interface. So instead of typing commands, you had a mouse, you had windows, you could drag things around on a screen. And what that did is it made computers available to everyone. Like it made the paradigm inclusive. And that single invention of the graphical user interface or the GUI paved the road for the world that we live in today. It's the iPhone is a graphical user interface and it's, you know, a derivative of that initial Mac in 1984. And so the way I look at it is that on the internet, we're still pre GUI. Like we're still in the command line era of the internet and universe is really the first graphical user interface for building the internet. And so that's really what we're about. And it's really pushing the envelope on user interfaces that meet people where they are, that are very powerful and very fun to use. And we don't see a trade-off between those two things. Super interesting. I mean, we'll definitely get into this no-code movement. I think it's fascinating. I think that's where technology should be trending to just empower people who maybe don't have computer science backgrounds to go out there and create, but kind of going back to the beginning of universe. So you've amassed over 500,000 creators, just raise your series B, but at the beginning, you're tackling this really large problem of the beauty of the creator economy is it is so diverse, but with all that diversity, each of the users has their specific, I guess, needs or requirements when they're looking to create their own website and do you, you have your idea, you know, I want it to be really creative. You want people to go out there and build like they do in the real world. But like, how did you make that happen as you have this idea? And like, what was your process to actually creating the product that is now universe? Yeah. So a lot of learnings. And I'd say that, you know, the question of like what we build because of the range of diversity of our creators is an you know ever present question for us, right? Like it's something that we engage with on a daily basis. 
And the way we look at it is, you know, we have our ambitions and we have our vision, but we also have limited resources. We're small and we need to do the right things first. And so for us, over time, the right things have meant if we're going to do something, let's start small, but let's make sure that the thing that we're doing is the best at doing that thing. And if we do that well, then we get permission to go and build out from there. And so when we first launched the app, it was a single page site builder. So you could only build a site with one page. Those pages did not scroll. So it was just a fixed three by five grid. You could put text on your page. You could put photos. You could put links. But that was it. And we put it out into the world. And that was in 2017. And immediately from day one, we had customers who loved it. And really the lesson there was like you couldn't make most websites with this tool. You could really just make these sort of landing pages that were like a quick, here's who I am. You know, sort of like a link tree kind of site. Like this is where you can find me on the internet. And what we found was that people wanted more, right? Like they wanted to build out their sites and add multiple pages. They wanted to make them scroll. They wanted different kinds of media that they could put on their sites. They wanted to sell things on their websites. And so for us then it was figuring out you know, when it made sense to do each of those things. I'd say the biggest change for us was about 18 months ago where we started working on allowing commerce within the universe system. So up until that moment, if you wanted to sell something on your site, you needed to use another service. That was a big leap for us. And we decided to do it because our customers were asking for it nonstop. And that was even after we had built in a Shopify integration, our customers were still like, hey, like, you know, we really want universe to do this. And, you know, for us, then the question was, okay, can we do this better than anyone? Like, can we build a solution here that is in a class of its own and in a way that we think is just better than anything that exists on market? And then secondarily, is this aligned with our strategic goals as a company, which are to enable creators to, you know, represent themselves online? And at some point, we basically concluded that the answer was yes on both of these things. You know, we could do a great job here, a better job than anyone else in market for our creator. And it's just strategically valuable for us. And so we did that. You know, as we look ahead, we really think of the jobs to be done of the platform, right? Like what are people, quote unquote, hiring universe to do? And really what they're hiring us to do is three things. They're hiring us to help them shape their brand. So that's about creative tools. They're helping us, so they're hiring us to help them grow their business. So that's about commerce tools. And they're hiring us to help them build an audience and grow an audience. And that's about audience management tools. And so those three pillars, creation tools, commerce tools, audience management tools, are things that we need to be doing concurrently. And as we sort of go into this next stage of life as a company, we'll be focused on each of those three things because it's the synthesis of all of them that makes the product really sick. But yeah, there's still, you know, we have a thousand, literally over a thousand ideas in our like product tracker. You know, we're fortunate that, you know, we're in a product category and our product is such that we have no shortage of ideas. It's infinitely generative, both from our creators, our team, you know, and so the question really is prioritization. And that's what we spend a lot of our time thinking about. I guess in the topic of like the no code movement and prioritization, like what's on the horizon or what trends are you seeing right now in creator economy and kind of what people are looking for in the next 
generation of web design. Because I think, you know, we've touched on e-commerce and I think that's a huge factor as we see that integrated in Instagram and TikTok. But what are some other things that customers are looking for? So Universe is unique among website builders in that it's not just a website builder, it's a design tool. So you can actually make any kind of design using the tool. And we believe that that is the future of sort of no-code web design, where you have a template to get started with, but you're not limited by the template in your design. Whereas the legacy website builders, they're incredibly rigid in how they work in that way. And, you know, we just see a world where people don't want to be constrained by someone else's design. They want to make their own thing. It's like, if you raise money for your direct-to-consumer brand, you know, you're not going to use Squarespace. You're going to go hire some agency to do it. We don't think that's how it should be, actually. We think that you should be able to make, you know, your own unique brand without, you know, needing to go hire someone without needing a bunch of venture capital. You should be able to do it yourself. That's really cool. Really empowering people, right, to have somewhere to start with as a template, but then really, you know, their imagination can flourish. They can kind of go in any direction. You can make art on the platform with like blocks. And I was actually playing around in universe and, you know, especially I was having like mounting frustration with Squarespace. I was building my like startups website. It's just so rigid. There's like weird global controls. There's not enough granularity. Sometimes there's too much, but that feeling of rigidity really, I think represents like the experience that I've had. Whereas with universe, it feels very fluid. It's just very easy to like drop things in to squeeze and make them small. It, it feels like how you would imagine, I guess, kind of like you were mentioning, right? Like how you would do things in person, you know, it has that kind of form factor. And so, you know, it's, I think, a really interesting evolution as we see tools starting to become more flexible and to, you know, kind of allow people to run with them and create things that even go beyond what the platform might have initially set out to do. And so, yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, you know, where, I guess, do you see, you know, even beyond, I guess, like tooling and web 2.0, where I guess, you know, creators are going in this maybe, you know, future of web three, that I think is really exciting and how it's like empowering creators to own their work, to make money off of that work. And even after they sell it the first time, still, you know, make money after that for each successive transaction. I think it's really a paradigm shift in kind of democratizing access to tooling, commerce, as well as people being able to have access to kind of this new age of kind of fine art. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, you know, Web3 is in the zeitgeist. And really, when we talk about Web3, we mean a decentralized internet. And a decentralized internet contrasts to a centralized internet or an internet that's controlled by a handful of corporations and institutions. And we've seen over the past few years, the problems with an internet that is controlled by you know five or six organizations. It's just an insane amount of power. Now, that's a brittle system ultimately. And so it's not just about, okay, what's ideologically better. It's actually like for a flourishing ecosystem, you want it to be much more bottoms up. If you think about real robust economies, they're not, you know, sort of oligopolies. You know, they have a flourishing of millions of businesses and individuals representing themselves. And so that's where the internet will go. And I like to think about this in three ways. There's really like three kinds of decentralization, and we're already in the middle of it. There's creative decentralization, which is 
about making creation on the internet something that's available to people who aren't technical. That's what Universe does. That's what we've done. That's what, you know, there are other tools in this category that do it. That is about decentralization, you know, creative decentralization. The second is economic decentralization. And so that's about saying, okay, you know, instead of all the dollars flowing through Amazon, you know, you have Shopify. So that's, you know, a distributed business model where, you know, you have many different businesses as opposed to just a singular, you know, global mall. And then there's what I'd call technical decentralization. And that's about saying, okay, where's the data? Like, is the data in Facebook's server farms? Is it, you know, on AWS? Or is it actually stored in a decentralized networked way? And a lot of the hoopla around, you know, crypto web three blockchain is in that third bucket. And that's very real. And it's the future of the internet, but it's still far away. And the other two things are really, really important precursors to that technical bit, right? Like at the end of the day, most end users of these tools, they don't care for their own sake that the thing decentralized, right? They want something that helps them do what they do better, right? And so that technical decentralization part needs to fit in their lives in that way. It's like, you know, I think Tesla's genius was in many ways that, you know, it wasn't like buy an electric car because it's an electric car. It was like buy an electric car because it's a better car. And we need to do that on these new technologies. And, you know, it's going to take some time to get to that point. But, you know, for us, Universe is going to be a major player in that whole world. And, you know, we're a web builder. And we're going to be on the forefront of this transition to, you know, being a Web3 builder. And we're already working on things in that realm, specifically saying, okay, how do we help our creators, who oftentimes are artists, engage in you know the world of NFTs and what's happening in that space? And we're going to be building out tools. We're actually working on them right now that are going to enable our creators to extremely easily you know, display their NFTs and eventually sell them and all that stuff. And so we're focused on you know making this stuff useful to people, not just doing it to do it, not doing it because it's hypey, but doing it because... It is valuable. And that's what we'll continue to do. Super interesting. It's just really like, I love how you're taking this futuristic approach, like embracing the Web3 decentralization, NFTs. But I think within that whole space, it's moving really fast right now and maybe even like too fast. So what are some of the roadblocks or pain points that you're seeing and try to like really push universe towards this space that's super new. There's a lot of people that are interested in it. There's so much technical power in it, but it is still new and kind of like a little bit of an unknown territory. So just what are some hurdles that you're facing right now? Our rule of thumb is we only engage when we can do something that's useful and excellent. And, you know, for us, so when we enter this new world, the question is like, where can we engage in a way that's useful and uniquely universe in like a high quality way? And that requires discipline. Like it's not grandiose. It starts with like a pretty small step in that direction. But, you know, as we go down that route, new things open up. I think there's just an insane amount of hype. This is the most hype thing I've experienced in my career in tech. You know, tech is susceptible to hype. But this is definitely the hypiest of things. And, you know, I think there's something real here. It's not BS. Like, this is real. But 
it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, big rhetoric around it is really premature, but there are ways of delivering value right now with the technology. So like literally with NFTs, like this is useful because what NFTs do is they bring provenance or scarcity to the internet, right? Like, you know, one of the problems we've had on the internet or with digital goods is that the economics of distribution go against how we think about selling things, which is to say that it doesn't cost anything to distribute a song like on the internet, but the business models of the music industry were built on selling music. So you have this problem, right? And the way that people have tried to deal with this in the past is they'll do things like charging for songs or putting protections, you know, digital rights management, things like that. And what you're doing is you're fighting the nature of the internet. The internet doesn't want to protect information. It wants, you know, information to be free. It wants media to be free. And so, you know, if you fight that, you're not going to win in the long run. Like you need to sort of move with the arc of the media itself. But what NFTs do is they allow you to benefit from the distribution of media on the internet, which is that copies are free. So everyone could see the image. They don't have to pay, but only one person owns it. And the ownership of that is a new construct that exists in the blockchain. We can say, oh, why do people care about ownership? And, you know, there's an interesting question around that. But people collect stuff in the real world. And we can talk about that. But there's a real thing. Like, you know, we live online. So the idea of actually owning things on the internet makes a lot of sense. Like, it's just an evolution of where we're going. So it's a long way of saying, though, that the things that NFTs are bringing into the world, there is inherent value here. And what we want to do is allow our creators to, you know, engage in that way, right? To say like, okay, I made this specific work. I want to turn it into an NFT or a digital work that can be monetized and owned and exists on the chain. So I think that there's going to be a, you know, we're in the middle of a bubble. It's going to come down. It's okay. I think that, you know, the stuff that is most interesting is going to weather the storm and basically while the enthusiasm dips, continue building and really put products that are valuable into the world. Very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, right, it's definitely very hypey these days. But like you said, I think that there is a lot of value there. And I think it's, you know, continually being uncovered. It's so interesting to see like NFTs, right? Like many times, you know, say a static image become, or doesn't always have to be static, obviously, but become, you know, I don't know, like a GIF or have like utility. It's really interesting seeing gaming these days where they're starting to integrate NFTs like Axie Infinity and where you can like stake NFTs. It's very, or maybe it's the token within the NFT. But I think it's just so interesting to see this kind of evolution of digital media and how people are interacting with it, how it has like the extension of games and like the fun that you can get from it beyond just seeing a really, really cool image. But it's really interesting. Yeah, just seeing that evolution happen beyond, I think, anything we've seen before. 100%. I guess, you know, with these like exciting things all coming down the pipe for Universe, I'd really love to hear more about how over time you've kind of built up a team to help you kind of create this really amazing platform and how you've thought about hiring, whether it was in the early days, even to now and kind of taking this next step after Series B. I'm really lucky to be able to work with just incredibly smart, creative, passionate, caring people. We're a team of 37, but we actually don't have a central office. We're spread out mostly around North America. 
in about 20 locations. So, you know, we've got people like on average, like 1.7 people per, you know, like location, which is pretty amazing. And we have no plans to stop that. And, you know, we like to say that Universe is really an internet company. And what we mean by that is we make stuff on the internet, but we live on the internet. The company exists on the internet. It doesn't have a physical representation in one centralized place. And we're really breaking new ground in what that looks like as a company and how we interact. And we were doing this before COVID had presented itself. And what that's done is it allowed us to hire people who are really, really great fits for the team and don't happen to be, you know, based in New York City or whatever it is. Because when you do that, you're constraining your pool of available people to whoever is in that particular location. But that doesn't necessarily correlate with the folks that are interested in the thing that you're doing or have the skills that you need. And so this allows us to just get people where they are. And it really fits in with our mission of meeting people where they are and empowering them. And so, you know, we, you know, attract great people and then we give them the space to really be autonomous. Like we lay out, you know, constraints, how we work, what we do, what our goals are. And then, you know, we are not prescriptive about how folks get to that place in terms of the way that they work. And so, you know, really working with people who are self-motivated, who come into work with initiative, they want to do great things, they're looking for the chance to do their life's work. And this is their place to do it. And as we think about what's next for us, you know, like you said, we're on this precipice, we just raised our series B. And we're going to be really doubling down as a company on the bets that we're making. And so that means, you know, like I said, we have three core product areas, creation tools, commerce tools, and audience management tools. And we're going to be building dedicated teams to each of those streams of work. And so each one of those teams will have a product manager, a designer, an engineering architect, several engineers. And as we take on more projects, we'll create pods that are sort of mapped to those specific things. But you know, like there's a lot of work involved in figuring out how you work together in this way. And ultimately it comes down to the people and the culture. You know, we have four core values as a company. They spell out the word seek, S-E-E-K. The first one is superlative, which means to us doing work that's in a class of its own. So not being defined by other people's definition of success and really being comfortable using our imaginations to understand what you know the best in the world looks like. The next is empowerment, which is about giving people the tools to do excellent work and not handholding. The third is about exploration which is approaching the world with an inquisitive mind and a curious mind and with the confidence that not knowing the answers is okay, that the company, the project, we're here to figure out those answers, but like the whole point is to do that as we go. It's to ask good questions and to really help us wayfind. And then Kaizen is the fourth, which means continuous improvement. And that's about the endless draft. The work is never done. We're constantly learning, iterating, improving, and, you know, that's how we get to that superlative place. So those are our core values. We make it very clear. We attract people who resonate with those things. You know, our product speaks to folks inherently. And, you know, our team has grown mostly based on referrals. So people hire their friends. And yeah, that's really it.
I love the decentralized approach that you take to, you know, your company as well as like the work that you're doing. And it sounds like you're touching on all of the things. You have culture down, you have the structure down, but now this is company number three. So you are part of a number of other successful startups. You have Lore. You're part of Reformation and expanding those stores. So I guess what's the secret sauce? Is it you're focused on people and you're focused on culture and And is that what you brought to both lore and reformation? Or was it more you focused on tech or operations? Or I don't know, when you're starting all these companies or even trying to expand companies, what are the things that you should be focused on that you think attribute to making a startup survive or die? I don't have all the answers, but what I'd say is that I think that ultimately a job of a founder and CEO is to identify a compelling vision for how the world should look and to ultimately organize a group of people to accomplish that mission in a way that synthesizes all of the various ingredients that you need to accomplish it. So that spans product and marketing and engineering and design and operations and growth and customer support. And every project has its own combination of those ingredients. And your job is to understand what those things are, who the players you need are for each of those functions and how they interact with each other, and then how do you evaluate success within them. And, you know, I think it's also going into a problem space with a question that you want to solve, but then learning as you go and being very receptive to what the market tells you about, you know, what it wants, right? Like you might have a strong opinion about it going in, but, you know, we learn as we get into it. And I think that there is no secret sauce. I think that it's being an entrepreneur is a craft, like it's not taught that way. But actually, one can become a good entrepreneur. And, you know, you become a good entrepreneur, I think, the way that you become a good anything, which is like practice, making mistakes, trying things, learning, working really hard. And I think that one can develop mastery in that way. I think, you know, it's a little bit unusual because if you want to go become a world-class chef, like there are places to go to do that. There are schools, but then you could also apprentice. And it's like a pretty define path. Whereas I think as an entrepreneur, it's a lot more, you know, sort of learn it as you go and, you know, build the plane as you're flying it kind of thing. And so because of that, I think people tend to think that it is much more of like a dark art than it really is. And I think ultimately it's a profession and one can become great at it with like discipline and rigor and creativity. So we've talked on a couple of things and I mean, it is a is it a profession, and I'm sure along the journey, there's been many you know, things that have gone really well and things that might have not gone so well. So I guess, what is your big lesson learned on your journey to becoming a successful serial entrepreneur? There have been a lot of twists and turns. Universe is about seven years old, and we pivoted into this direction about two and a half, three years into it. And the company almost died. It was just me at that point in time. And so at that moment is when I you know, pivoted the company into becoming a website builder. And that brings us to where we are. And that was really hard. And I think, you know, I've heard this wisdom, you know, we did Y Combinator and it's kind of lore in the startup world. But, you know, startups don't die really until the founders give up or sell or whatever it is. And so it's really like my mantra is sort of like, follow your nose, don't give up. It's usually right you know, and the vision, the timing, like that stuff, the vision is usually right. The timing, the way that you approach it 
that is where you know it requires learning, adaptation, etc. But it's ultimately about like not giving up. And it sounds really obvious, but I think you know I think YC published this once, but they said you know we used to think that when we're evaluating founders, the most important thing was intelligence. How smart are these people? And what they realized is actually like determination was the most important quality that, you know, the task of like building a startup is so hard that it just requires a level of persistence and doggedness that, you know, is totally unusual and in the class of its own in terms of other work. And I think that, you know, in our culture right now, we're in like an instant gratification culture. I think people want everything now, now, now. And that's not how this works. I think you need to put in the hours. And I think that's what I'd say. It's basically like, I also believe, by the way, that people should not start companies unless they like can't not start that company. What I mean by that is like, it is unbelievably difficult and it takes everything out of you in success or failure. And the only reason to do it is if you have some almost irrational desire, compulsion to do it because you don't live a normal life. Work never stops. You know, you're always thinking about it. And, you know, that requires some level of respect and deference. Like, okay, like, you know, this is not like a casual two-year item. This is like, you know, this is an investment. And I think the way of looking at it is really, okay, like this is a career I want to build and that's the investment I want to make long-term in myself. But I don't think there are any shortcuts. I think the one-hit wonder is kind of overrated. You know, even with the Reformation story, you know, that company you know, we sold the company a couple of years ago, but it was over 10 years old at that point. Like it had been a long time. So, you know, this stuff takes time. Awesome. I think really good tips around, you know, that kind of relentless drive that you need to be an entrepreneur, especially if you're stay starting out on your own, even as you continue to go and kind of run through the trials and tribulations of needing to pivot and making those hard decisions and, you know, trying to never say die. I think really, really great advice, Joe. And I think that brings us to our last question, which we always love to end with, which what is your boldest, most unique prediction for how the world is going to be different in the next five to eight years from now? You know, what do you believe in your heart will happen, even though it seems like a moonshot to everyone else? I think that we are in a moment of unbelievable, unprecedented change in the world. I think that it's because of the internet. I think that COVID accelerated it. I think that it's not just about technology, it's about society. I think that so much is going to change in the next five to eight years. That'd be foolish for me to predict because I really think that this next decade is going to be incredibly consequential for humanity and for history. Like, I think that I don't know, but I will say that I think there are some trends and themes. I think this moment of decentralization is real. And I think that we're going to look ahead over the next decade and the internet is going to be more important than it is today. And it's going to be different in its architecture. You're going to have different players. It's going to be far more decentralized. It's not going to be controlled by these giant companies in the same way. That might take longer, but that's the general direction that we're going in. I also think that you know we're continuing to see software eat the world and that will touch everything. I mean, you know, the thing that is getting us out of the COVID pandemic is vaccine technology that basically brings the mechanics of software to designing vaccines. So software eats healthcare, software is eating, you know, finance, software is eating the arts, it's eating e commerce. 
And it's going to do that for everything. And there's a lot of incredible power that comes with that. Kid in a dorm room can launch a new business, but there's also a lot of problems and pitfalls with it. And I think, you know, it's two sides. I think we're going to see a lot of chaos. I think a lot of uh, generative new invention, but I think also, you know, geopolitical chaos. I think we'll see, I think we're in a moment of radical change. And my approach to it is like, embrace it, you know, like this is our moment, it's our generation's moment, and we get to shape the future in a way that I think past generations just didn't have the ability to because the institutions that surrounded them were so rigid. And I think not since World War II have we had a moment where like the world is all new, it's all possible. And I think sometimes it looks a bit hopeless or cynical, you know, with everything that's going on. To me, that's the opportunity. It's in a molten state. And so, you know, to me, the most exciting thing about the world is that you can't predict it and that it would be, I think, a fool's errand in many ways to try and do that. But I think we'll see a continuation of these trends. I think the internet will continue to grow in its fidelity. Software will continue to eat the world. Radical empowerment will come to every person with an idea and some hustle. And I think that we're going to end up on the other side in a more glorious future. I think that, you know, I remain very optimistic. I think that we're at the beginning of a moment of real change and possibility. And, you know, that's what excites me and motivates me. Very cool. Thanks, Joe. I mean, it's amazing this kind of era where people are just finding, you know, new sense of agency with no code, with the way software is becoming, you know, more ubiquitous than ever. And like you said, you know, eating healthcare, eating commerce, eating art, and that there's just this wealth of opportunity to build incredible new and game changing things that people are super passionate about and whatever their niche might be. So thanks so much, Joe. We really appreciate you coming on. This was really wonderful. Happy to. I hope it was useful. Thank you. All right, folks.